Hey, I want to thank you for being a part of the conversation. Let's play it forward. These are real people, real stories, the struggle to play it forward. Episode number 552 is with Captain Bob Young. Well, what's doing? I'm nursing that first cup of coffee and uh, shaking off the cobwebs. How are you, sir? <laughs> well, I haven't had my coffee either, so that makes us equal. I humbly apologize. I just realized the schedule didn't indicate Pacific or Eastern, so uh, I just got a message from my publicist said, uh-oh. <laughs> well, I run into that all the time, especially with those rock bands out there in California. It'll be, they'll say, okay, they're going to talk at uh, 1230, and then, and then it's really 930 their time. Or somebody, like this morning, I was talking with somebody out in Hollywood, and, and uh, it was a 930 conversation. It was really 630 in the morning where they were. Oh, geez. Well, good thing I'm not in a rock band. Then I would have had a real excuse for you. <laughs> so how do you deal with that as a pilot? In, because, I mean, you cross several different time zones. I mean, you, we, we read about that in the Vagabond pilot. Yes, we do. Um, well, it was interesting. I, I went going westbound. Of course, I got an extra hour going eastbound. Uh, I, I was uh, pressed uh, when I would cross a time zone, uh, pressed for that extra hour because uh, – it meant getting up earlier, et cetera. When you were flying across this country in that small airplane, did you not feel like that you were visiting the world's greatest art gallery? Because I, that's one of the reasons why I like to fly is I love looking at the lay of the land. You know, you really hit it right on the head. I, I was fascinated growing up in the East. When we were in grade school, they had the big, the the, the textbook of the, the Rocky Mountains and and you'd learn about the mesas in New Mexico and the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Canyon. And then when you fly over these things, well, it's one thing from an airliner. But uh, when I got down so low, this was really much things were much more distinguishable. Uh, this we it is such a great expanse. You just it, it was really thrilling. I, I know I'm. Uh, you think you're older and you get jaded, but it was like. When I was coming over to New Mexico and I could actually, because I was so low, I could see how the mesas were stepping down, stepping up, and then into Texas, how it, all of a sudden it got very green and greener. And you say, ah, no wonder they have so many cattle. <laughs> and, uh, and the bayous along the coast uh, uh, from Texas to Louisiana. Yes, you could really distinguish uh, uh, things down low. So it was a real geography lesson. I think even more fascinating was being a history and a political science buff. Uh, how you could see how the country uh, grew because all the communities were located on, located on uh, waterways and uh, – in the Midwest, there were all the farms, and then there would be an airport in a community like 50 miles apart. So you can see how it all kind of spread out. It was it was really fascinating. One of the, one of the things that I will look at when I'm up in the air is the fact that I'll, I'll look at the highways when when you can when you're low enough to do that, and and you can tell to me which which city had the greater politicians, and the reason why is because the strong politicians have the better streets for their personal cities. <laughs> yeah, they got all the federal funds for the interstate highway, I they guess. They do, they do. But, you know, that's a very interesting point. I remark about it when I'm uh, passing by Chicago and uh, you uh, living in L.A., you, you, you deal with the freeways and you see it's all over. But you could see how how all the freeways emanated from the city to the point of the lake where Chicago was, Lake Michigan. 
and spread out into the suburbs. And uh, all this population grew from there because of those highways, I would I surmise. What was more lonelier, being up there in that airplane or writing the book? Ah, uh, being in the airplane. I, I wrote the book contemporaneously as I traveled. Ooh. Uh, but I think you might have, have hit a good point because in the editing, it was arduous. Uh, that's where the real work, uh, when an editor, the editor got a hold of me and started cutting all my wonderful poetry of writing. <laughs> all of a sudden, wait a minute, I like that. No, but that's where it really was work. So it was in the airplane that you felt much more solitude. How did you get used to that editing with, with with the editor? Only because, I mean, my first book, I had to go through five rewrites, and 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 that you know, it starts getting inside your head, and it starts you you no longer believe in the project. How did you keep going? Well, I have a very dear friend who uh, uh, was a is a New York Times bestselling author, a lady named Terry Chaney. She wrote a book called Manic, and has become a leading. Uh, uh, persona on bipolar mania. And Terry was kind of a coach about her experience going through it. She's on her fourth book. And she uh, said, you got to fight for what you believe. And don't don't be shy about it. if you really insist that, you know, go go to battle with the editor. So I had I had that kind of marching orders in my back of my head. And I, I had to be convinced when something needed to be eradicated. Uh, for instance, one of my the most impact impactful uh, stories that I came across was uh, when I got waylaid. Um, luckily, I didn't keep flying when I got that segment going to two, back to Tucson and had to divert to truth or consequences in uh, New Mexico. And I, I spent a little time touring and I went into this museum and it was all about the uh, uh, our uh, displacement, I'm being very kind, of the Indians, mm -hmm. the Native Americans. And there were so many stories from the Native American experience and it was just overwhelming. So I wrote a lot about how in our manifest destiny, we kind of uh, weren't very nice. And uh, the author said, no, no, no. The editor said, no, no, no. We're getting rid of all this. It was pages of arrows. Like <laughs> I was writing a dissertation. No, you're distracting. We want to get back to the story. They want people want to know when you're finishing already, you know, so. <laughs> We, we did battle, that's for sure. I'm going to ask you an everyday person question. In the way that uh, your, your, your book, uh, Vegabond Pilot, has you flying across the country, one across and then coming back. When, when you have to land, do you whip out the credit card and have to pay that airport to use their strip? Uh, no. Very few uh, uh, general aviation airports charge for landing fees or transit fees. Uh, when you visit, they will charge for an overnight parking fee. Uh, this, like in Dallas, it was pretty expensive, but in most cities, it's five. In, in towns, it's five dollars or ten dollars for an overnight fee. Wow. But no, uh, they you do not get charged for landing fees in general aviation. In the big planes, of course, they 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 pay a landing fee for based upon their uh, weight. 
So uh, a seven thirty-seven is less than a seven forty-seven, et cetera. As part of your, your your southern travels, you flew across the Carolinas. Yes. How about and that? I was glad that I I was I wanted to talk to you about that. That was fascinating to me because you read about how the thirteen colonies were settled in North Carolina and and North Carolina was indicate interesting because you could see how the rivers emptied out into the ocean. And then up from the ocean, uh, a little ways, was the city, like Wilmington, right? It was up, it was up from the, 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 the ocean. And, and all of the cities, I, I noticed, had, were the same. So that was fascinating because that's actually how it happened. They must have fi- had to find refuge up the river from being on the ocean when they were in port, so to speak. So it was, and, and, and North Carolina is so beautifully forested. So and and the whole East Coast is a whole different trip from the, the West. The West is so arid, and there's not not as many trees as in the East Coast. It's just forested, so that the airport or cities are are just a little cut out in this green blanket, so to speak. And uh, as you read, I had a little trouble locating Danbury <laughs> at the end, but. Uh, it, uh, yes, North Carolina was fascinating from the air. How did you deal with get home itis? Because I mean, there, the, inside your mind, you had to have said, "I got to get home. I got to get home." But yet, you were so many hundreds and thousands of miles away. I didn't do a very good job. Okay, and that's where I, uh, as the book reaches its, uh, 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 um, uh, how can I say, climax, so to speak, before I arrive in Los Angeles. Uh, but for the intervention of an angel, I would have been a statistic uh, because of get homeitis. And it, it really surprised me because as a pilot, you, you, you know, many years, oh, I would never, when you read, I, I would always read and read about pilot reports and accidents and you try to learn. As, as my instructor said, you know, the, you get a license and it's a license to learn. And, um, oh, I would never do that. Oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. And yet, I think in, in retrospect, get home itis almost uh, put me, put me uh, off the planet here because uh, I was so, I had such a narrow window and the weather kept pressing me. And then when I was trying to beat that storm coming up from Baja to cut across the New Mexico mountains into Tucson, uh, I didn't really consider climbing the effect of climbing over 12,500 and flying for more than 30 minutes. I you need oxygen. Yeah. And that's why I was up there for 45, 50 minutes and hypoxia started to set in. And if I didn't hear from the controller, the significant meteorological warning that, hey, Safford, Arizona has embedded thunderstorms. You better divert. Uh, I, I wouldn't have known, uh, or been conscious, not conscious, but I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to, to make a judgment that I should divert. I would have just kept on flying happy and dumb the way I was. So it was a little bit scary and get home. I just, I think the classic case is John F. Kennedy Jr.'s. Yep. Yep. That's uh, what I was thinking about. Yep. That's what I was thinking about. You know, gosh, right? He had to get to that wedding that night, and all these factors with 
upon him and he thought he could handle it and sadly not so yes it's a very it's a dark beast indeed is there a website where listeners can go to to give you some love and and to you know to find out more about you no i I have not gotten finished my website but thank you for asking Uh, the book is available on amazon and at redskypresents.com and uh, i thank you for speaking with you this morning and i'm so sorry i was late this is tape, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that that just showed me how old you are because uh, with tape, I think we stopped using that back in two thousand five. <laughs> no, what do you use? What do you say now? We 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 just use it. I just record it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Captain Robert Young, man, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be would, open for you. I would love that. Thank you so much, and uh, happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Same to you. Go get that cup of coffee now. Ah, uh, all the best. Now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, guy.